So if God spoke to you today, and he said to you, and you heard his voice really clearly, anybody ever have any of those moments where you really hear clearly God? It's like, whoa, that was him? Yeah, several of us. So if he spoke to you today, and he said, I want you to go to Rockville Cemetery, and I want you to raise the dead. God might do that. That if he said to you, and you were clear, it was his voice, I want you to go and raise the dead. Not He's not talking about like massive revival. He just wants one, right? Not, not every grave, but just go out there. I want you to pray, and I want you to raise the dead. My question for you is, who would you take? Who would you take with you? Just think about that. Think about that. Think about that. You know, as we continue talking about um, our anniversary and, and uh, celebrating that, you know, God is so good, man. He's done some amazing things. I want to I talk today about the birth of the church. Uh, and I don't mean the small church congregation of Hope Christian Church. I want to talk about the birth of the church. The birth of the body of God, the birth of the family of God. You know, in, in the very beginning, there was nothing. Nothing. Formless. A vacuum. Blank. Darkness. And God spoke, and then there was. Something. There was light. And then he formed stars and moons and rocks spinning around and rocks with water and rocks with life and rocks with plants. And, and, and it was all just awesome. But because God is love... He needs something to love. God's a trinity. He's a relationship. He's a communion. And he needs something to commune with. And so he said, let's make something in this beautiful place that is in our image. So he made man. And then he realized that it wasn't perfect. It was beautiful, but it wasn't perfect because man was alone. And that's not right. So I'll make him a help meet, someone to help meet me, and we'll all commune together. And it was beautiful. And it was awesome. And in the cool of the evening, God would just sort of walk by in the sunset, and there was man and woman just going, Wow, man, God, this is, you're incredible. There ain't nothing broken. They didn't know what broken was. This is just you and me and her and him and these beautiful things. And it was just beyond what we've ever experienced. It was communion with God at the highest level ever was taking place here on earth. It was church. 
It was oneness. It was unity. It was what church is. It was God and, and, and loving people. And then we messed it up. We messed it up pretty good big time. It gives a few simple instructions. Hang out here, hang out there, eat anything you want. But don't ever think that you know the difference between good and evil. Don't even go there. You're not God. Just chill. It's okay. I got it all covered. But don't do that thing. Then we did. We chowed down. Took it all in. We know the difference. We can figure it out. And then it was broke. And at that time, after it was broke, God engaged in phase one. Phase one of restoring it. From the very beginning of time, he's had this plan of phase one. So phase one is written down to us in the book of Colossians. Let me read it to you. It's a great verse. Here, we'll have it on the screen. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, and He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. He had this plan before He spoke. So when we busted it up, when we messed it up, He made this promise to the woman and to the tempter. In Genesis chapter 3, he said to us on the screen, we will please, and I will put animosity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, Jesus, will crush your head and all you're going to be able to do is strike his heel. Phase one. I'm going to make a plan to bring this Jesus to the world. So phase one engages. Phase one engages. It engages with God's people trying to figure out how to have communion with God without Jesus. And so God touches different prophets, different leaders, different men, and he instructs them and the people follow those leaders. They follow those prophets and they try to figure things out. And sometimes they follow them and then sometimes they don't. And sometimes they follow them and sometimes they don't. And when they follow them, they're blessed and the cattle are all happy and making a bunch of little baby cows and so are the sheep and everything's fine and the enemies aren't uh, attacking them. And when they don't follow them, well, then the enemies are attacking them and stealing their cows and everything else is going wrong and going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And God goes, it's time for phase two. In a little manger in Bethlehem, 
His promise gets fulfilled. In comes Jesus. The animosity between the devil and God. And so, with Jesus, in phase two, Jesus becomes the prophet, the leader. Oh, let's follow him. He's the guy. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It's not just he's the follower. It's not just he's the leader. He became the path. He became the way, the truth, and the life. He became the resurrection. He went through hell and made the great exchange. The exchange of our sin for God's glory to be back on the throne. He took in all this weight, all this darkness, all this depth of pain, brokenness, evil, abandonment, abuse, molestation, lies, cheating, stealing, murder, deceitfulness, pride, arrogance, condemnation, criticalness, negative attitudes. He took it all. And said, I'm leaving it here and we're going to glory. And here we are. I'm back. And so, after phase two comes phase three of I'm going to have the people be ready. And so I want us to look at phase three. The birth of the restored church. Because the first church was there in the garden. And here comes the second one. So turn to the book of Acts chapter 2 with me. If you're visiting with us today, we get into this every week. This is called the Bible. It's awesome. It's truth. We're not experts at it. We are just doing our best to figure it out and live it out. But we do know is it is alive speaking to us. So please go ahead and grab one of these with with me today. And if you're visiting with us, even if you've got a Bible, our request is that you would take this, keep it. If you want to, give it away to somebody. And if you don't want to, use it in a more convenient spot of your home. But the least we can do is give you God's truth for being with us today. And so we see here in this next phase of the restored church in Acts chapter 2, we see this birthing. And, and, and we're going to look at this today, for the rest of our time, we're going to look at this particular encounter, we're going to look at the explanation of the encounter, of the encounter and then we're going to look at the, we're gonna look at the, uh, the response, and we're going to look at the result. And so we see here, the actual encounter itself is on verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise... Everyone came running. 
And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained, exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the other areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in their own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, well, they're just drunk, that's all. (laughs) So here's this encounter, an incredible An incredible event. Perfect timing in God's plan. Perfect timing. You know, there were three um, festivals, three main festivals, that the Jewish people were required to to, uh, pay pilgrimage to and attend from all over Asia Minor, from Europe where they had dispersed, from Africa. They were all required to come back. There were three of them. One was... um, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, that happened in the fall. Uh, the other was Passover, that was in March and, and April. And then there was Pentecost, which celebrated the, the, the Feast of, of, the, of the Barley Harvest. It was 50 days, that's where you get the word Pentecost. It was 50 days before the barley harvest was ready. And in Pentecost, they also celebrated the 50 days that it took for uh, the Exodus before Moses was given the Ten Commandments. An incredible parallel. 50 days of celebrating before we received the Word of God on how to have a relationship with Him, on how to have communion with Him. We have this celebration where we're going to have this opportunity to, again, engage in the communion and the celebration with God. Now, of those three festivals, the most popular one to go to was by far Pentecost because it happened around June. It was summertime. It was just easier to get there. It wasn't raining like April and March, and it wasn't you know, raining like, uh, like it could happen in, in fall. And so Jerusalem is jam-packed. And what an irony, if you will, or what a parallel, if you will, that this is a harvest festival. And God is about to harvest His people. God is about to harvest His people. And it's perfect timing for the world history, if you will. We had Pax Romana, which is you know uh, the Roman um, peace that was going on. You could travel roads pretty safely back then because they had roads going all through from India all the way into Jerusalem, a centerpiece or center point of trade and commerce. Uh, we had a common language of Greek. So that if something were to explode and you wanted to get a message out there, this was better than the Internet. They had the same language spoken by everybody. No noise. No dissonance. And then we had uh, philosophy was starting to increase in its popularity. Some of the uh, worship of actual Roman gods and Greek gods was diminishing. Socrates was key in that. Because Socrates' philosophy was that the societal good should be the primary focus and the primary foundation of any thought, of any philosophy, of any culture. 
And so that was started to be promoted. And so we see this perfect timing for this message to occur in this place and this time. In particular, perfect because the Jews were expecting the Messiah. They were expecting the Messiah. And so Jesus, who has risen from the grave, and he has walked the world and has taught for about 50 days and what the teachings of, of the fullness of the gospel mean, what it means in terms of the resurrection, what it means in terms of the church. He has given a mandate of go and make disciples. He has given them instructions on how to do that. You just be a witness. Just tell people your story. I was in a house. I got burned. I'm scarred. Look at the pictures. And now I'm healed. Pretty simple. He gives that mandate. He gives those instructions. And then he ascends to heaven. And here comes this event. Here comes this event. It's a God event. It's a God event that took place. And we see the explanation of the event next by Peter in verse 14, which is just an incredible act of mercy on God's part. That Peter is the one who's going to explain this. Because Peter is the guy who denied Jesus three times. And he's the one that gets to speak about it first and explain and preach this good news first. So if nothing else today, folks, take home the principle. And the message that your flaws are not fatal. That God can restore anything that you have done. He can use and wants to use every one of us. No matter what we have gone through. No matter what we've gone through. So here we see verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Say all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they'll prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and sights through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he's right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You've shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David was referring to himself, for he died and was buried. 
And his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God, had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. Say resurrection. He was, among, he was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus, say raised Jesus, from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. Now in exalted in the, to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand and the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. For David never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Say Messiah. This, this event... This event was was a was a was a sign, a, a, an incredible sign. You know, it, it was the sound of wind. It wasn't wind. It was the sound of wind. Anybody from the Midwest and, and familiar with tornadoes like me? I'm the only one. Ah, good. Thank you. When you hear when a tornado's coming, you hear the sound like it's a train, and it's calm. There's not a wind by your house. It's calm. The wind is in the tornado. And it's a sound that you just you'll you'll never forget if you ever heard one. You ever hear one? It's incredible. It 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 it, stare, it, it scares the bejeebies out of you. Believe me, it really does. That's why you run to the cellar. But it, it, it so there wasn't a wind. There was just the sound of wind, and then these these flames. This visual of flames dancing on their faces like like tongues of fire. And, and, and then they spoke in foreign languages. Now, now this is not this is not the, the divine, um, the, the divine language, if you will, that we also see the Holy Spirit sometimes pour out, which you can read about in First Corinthians, chapter 13 and 14. This is the original language was heteroglossia, meaning multiple tongues, multiple languages. They were speaking French and, and German. They were speaking all these native tongues here, which is an incredible thing. If you look at the Tower of Babylon, when God said, look, you prideful people, I'm going to bust you up and give you a bunch of different languages so you can get confused, so you'll never become so prideful that you get yourself elevated to a place of thinking that you are God. He's now using the Holy Spirit to pull in all those different languages, so we will know that we can ascend back up to the power of God. We are not a people. We are not a people that have to follow around a prophet or a pastor or a good communicator or a deacon or an elder. Or a priest. We're a people that have the power of ascending to the presence and the communion with God through His Holy Spirit. 
We have that ability because we are His children. And, and this word that He gives Him, as Peter explains this, this encounter, <coughs> he explains that, you know, the Holy Spirit has come to, 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 in, to indwell. And, and how do you know that it, it, it came through Jesus? Well, look at the promise. Joel, Joel promised this. Joel promised this years ago. Hundreds of years ago. And, and this must have blown them away because the word from Joel is that all people have this access to God. All people. It, 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 I'm sure it blew them away, not just because, oh, look, at the end, all I got to do is call the name of the Lord. All I got to do is say a sinner's prayer, go to Billy Graham's concert and go, okay, thank you, Jesus, so I surrender. Uh, no, it's not that. Uh, by the way, look at Peter's teaching. He goes on and talks about baptism here in a second and, and repentance, that it's not just a prayer. That's not what blew him away. What blew him away was you didn't have to be a priest. You could be in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit could come into this room. Wow, you mean God is with me now? That's incredible. So in this explanation, they, they, they were given this truth. And, and notice the emphasis throughout this whole thing. The emphasis was not on the cross. The emphasis was on the resurrection. The power over death. The resurrection. You know, the cross in art form, and becoming an icon of our faith, didn't really start to show up in art until like 400 years after Jesus. If you look at art for the first 300 years, it's all about the miracles and the, re and the resurrection. You look at the teachings. Look, look at Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 4 with me. Acts chapter 4. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. See, it goes beyond him paying a price. It goes to the place of he took the price and exchanged it for life, for the Spirit of God, for the movement of God, which is available to all. That's the gospel message, not just the cross. And so we see this, this, this message that, that in this explanation that Peter gives to us that we know how we can know because of the promise of God. And then we see that Jesus and the proof of his ministry leads us to know that he is the Messiah. He, he quotes another Old Testament scripture that David wrote, Psalm 110, where David points out the Lord of my Lord. David points out the theology that Jesus, the Messiah, is not only human, but he is divine. He's both, and that our Messiah was Jesus. And so the overcoming of death and the ability to bring us into an ascension to a new kingdom is through the Messiah. And we have that access through Him. Because look what the response is. And then look at the result. The response Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Last week we had our barbecue and we talked about why did you come? 
you know, why did we come to hope? And, and we all gave, a lot of people just gave awesome testimonies. And in those testimonies was the heart piercing. That there was something broken in each and every one of us that went and running to God. And then Peter's response is this. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and those who are far away and all who have been called by the Lord to everybody. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, a harvest of about 3,000 in all. That we are to turn from our sin, turn away from the, the things of this world that we turn to to fill ourselves up. The things that we try to turn to, 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 to that are our reliance, are our control, our pride to build our own tower. Or, or when we're eating from the fruit of knowledge, thinking we know the difference from right and wrong. It's to turn away from that and totally surrender in the name of Jesus. That's vitally important. Not just as like a ritual or a protocol, but the name of Jesus means the embodiment. When you talk about someone's name, you're talking about the fullness of who they are. Every bit of their character, every bit of their essence, every bit of their power in the name of Jesus. And there was also a practice even all the way back then. If something was in the name of it, then that meant that it was possessed by that. So if something's in the name of Jesus, that means he owned it. He owns it. It's his. It's in his name. Just look at your children's clothing. What do you got written on the tag? Their name. Why? Because they own it. And they'll go to school with their coat and they'll leave it. And then you'll tell them to go get it. And they'll look on the rack and they'll say, I couldn't find it. And at the end of the semester, you can go back to the rack. It's probably there. Their name's written on Because they own it. So it's in his name. And it's a full immersion. It's a full submission into, into His water of life. It's a death of us surrendering into Him. And if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Get baptized. Repent. Turn from the world and, and, and surrender your full life wholly and completely into Him. And the promise is for you and every generation and everybody who may be far off that you will have the Holy Spirit. And you will be have that ability to ascend. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. And we as a church, as we go forward into 20 years, I know, I know we all have desires that the church grow. We all want to live out that mandate and reach a loved one that doesn't know Jesus. Many of us have been involved with God and know the blessing of what it's like to, to share with somebody and watch them grow in their faith. And so we want to help disciple other people. We pour out a lot of energy to, to homeless people who are trying because we know that, that you know, they, they lived in a background of, 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 that was probably broken and wounded, and Jesus is the solution of healing and restoration, and, and we can watch them blossom. And when we do that, we're closer to Jesus that's all great stuff, but here's the thing I don't want us to lose 
lose in this message. It is the movement of God. It is not what we do. It is the movement of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this in John, in, in John chapter uh, 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Look, look, look forward in, in, in just a little up, upstream to this story in, in chapter 1, in verse 14. After Jesus ascended, it says all the disciples were around, they were hanging out, and they all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They were anticipating. This was a spiritual event. They were united with God, united with one another. This is the invitation that we have to be the body, to unite Jesus in John 17, before he took the cross in the garden, was praying, I pray that they will all be one so that you, so that they will know you because I'm in you and you're in me and, and I will be in them and you will be in them. United as one, together, communion together. And you look at what takes place next in Acts and you see this description, devoted to one another, devoted to the teaching, caring for one another. The Lord's Supper was going on and Jesus himself said, proclaim this, proclaim this gospel, this resurrection, be united together. And I know we have disagreements and I know we have different opinions on what, what, what we should do and, and how we should do it, but we need to be united because that's where the dark world sees the glory of God. Not so much in the programs or how we do the programs, but in the unitedness over the Holy Spirit and His movement of His love and His grace through the body of Christ. And not just this congregation, the body of Christ. Every body of believers meeting underneath your son, His Son's name. Everybody. That un unity that glory of God, that ascending of the Holy Spirit, the access that each one of us, each one of us have, that glory is the church. Praise God for the church. Praise God for the church. Praise God for you. That you are a body of the family of God in His church. I pray we can be united. I pray we, that we can all live ascended. Live from being ascended. Because that's our, who we are in Him. That's our identity. Risen, seated next to Him in the throne. Let's pray. Father God, thank You, Lord, for Your body, for Your church, for birthing out us from long ago, restoring us, bringing us to this place, the movement of Your Spirit, Lord. Lord, may we constantly pray for the movement of Your Spirit, not for an event, not for a program, not for things to fall into place how we want them, but for the movement of You and the restoration and the power of Your Spirit, Lord, transforming hearts and transforming lives. Bless the church, Lord. Bless your body of believers. May we be united in you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.